Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkshire, host, and our guest is David Cameron, a professor of political science at Yale University and the director of the program in European Union Studies at the Macmillan Center. Professor Cameron teaches courses on European politics and the European Union. Over the past year and a half, the members of the European Union that have adopted the euro have been immersed in a seemingly never-ending debt crisis. First Greece, then Ireland and Portugal, and now Greece again, as well as growing concerns about Italy. Why did the crisis happen? Where is it now? And what can the EU do? Welcome, Professor Cameron. Thank you. Let's begin um, talking about what exactly is the Eurozone. Give us an overview. The Eurozone is a group of 17 members of the European Union. Mm -hmm. There are 27 members in all in the European Union. The 17 members have agreed to give up control of monetary policy, turn it over to the European Central Bank, mm -hmm. uh, give up their national currency, exchange it for the Euro. Okay. Uh, and those 17 countries uh, got into the Eurozone by meeting uh, certain criteria set out in the Treaty on European Union that was signed in 1992. Okay. So we've had the Eurozone since 92, basically. Well, we've had the commitment to go to European Economic and Monetary Union since 1992. The Eurozone itself started in 1999. Okay. Uh, 11 countries joined at that time. Greece joined two years later in 2001, and other countries have joined since then. So now we have 17 in. Okay. And why is this crisis happening? What's going on? Well, the crisis is happening. Uh, it's essentially a debt crisis. Uh, uh, the uh, countries in the Eurozone are supposed to keep their deficits at 3% mm -hmm. of GDP or less. And uh, they committed to that in something called the Stability and Growth Pact that was agreed in the 1990s, just before the Eurozone began. Uh, the countries haven't done that. Uh, the pact hasn't been enforced. There hasn't been uh, compliance. Uh, countries have routinely exceeded uh, those levels of deficit. Who is supposed to be enforcing it? Well, that's the problem. There isn't anyone to enforce it. Wow. Uh, it's uh, a question of a slap on the wrist and uh, public uh, naming and shaming, but it's really, uh, there's really no enforcement mechanism, no real sanctions. So countries have simply uh, ignored it. Uh, all of the countries have ignored it at one time or another, mm -hmm. uh, including France and Germany. Uh, as a result, countries have built up large uh, amounts of public debt. Okay. Now, two years ago, uh, when uh, a new Greek government was elected in October 2009, the new prime minister at the time, George Papandreou, uh, announced that the deficit for Greece wasn't what the previous government had said, 5% of GDP. It would be 12.7% of GDP. Okay. And he said the previous government had fabricated the results on the deficit. Uh, the markets got very anxious about this because in 2010, Greece would have to uh, borrow uh, over 50 billion 
euros mm -hmm. in the financial markets, and it already had a very high amount of debt. Okay, so is that what kicked off the Greece was the first country to have the, the problem? Okay, and now they find themselves in uh, more trouble. What's going on now? Even more trouble now. Uh, because uh, what happened last spring, uh, sorry, in the spring of 2010, is that Greece uh, 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 realized it would have to borrow both from the EU and the IMF and negotiated a 110 billion euro bailout. It was the largest bailout that the IMF had ever been involved in mm -hmm. uh, to uh, finance itself uh, since it really couldn't go into the markets and borrow because the markets were demanding such a high rate of interest given the risk of sure. that the debt would, uh, that Greece would default. <clears throat> so one of the things that happens in, in that kind of borrowing package is a country assumes responsibility to get its fiscal house in order, mm -hmm. meaning putting in some kind of deficit reducing uh, measures austerity package <clears throat> uh, so that it would uh, essentially reduce spending, uh, increase revenue, so forth. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that austerity basically leads to an even greater economic contraction. Right. It doesn't uh, generate doesn't growth, help, right. it generates even greater contraction and this happened at a time when Greece was already experiencing an economic contraction. Mm -hmm. So things got worse, not better, uh, and by the fall of 2010 it was clear that the huge amount of debt that Greece had would probably have to be restructured, stretched out into the future uh, in some way, uh, and in fact Greece suggested that more than a year ago. By this past spring it became apparent that Greece would need roughly 170 billion euros between 2011 and 2014 in order to finance itself. Uh, and it had still about 50 or 60 billion left over from last year's package, mm -hmm. uh, but it would still need about 100, 120 billion euros more from the EU and the IMF. Uh, <coughs> and that led the uh, Eurozone countries to negotiate a new second bailout, uh, and they did that in June and July. Uh, it was delayed for a variety of reasons. Uh, they now finally agreed on it in late October, uh, and, uh, but we haven't had a formal Greek approval of that bailout package yet. Mm -hmm. And we are just now, literally today, getting a new government uh, in Greece that will presumably approve that package and implement the measures that the Eurozone has uh, said have to be uh, implemented uh, in order to um, uh, fix the uh, long-term problem mm -hmm. in Greece. And do you think that will happen? Do you think it will be fixed? Well, I, th I think it will. Um, I mean, we're speaking now November 10th, uh, and just today uh, Greece uh, announced that a man named Lucas Papadimus will take over as prime minister. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a former European Central Bank vice president, an economist, a technocrat, well, that uh, sounds a non-partisan, like a non-political person. Uh, they've had a huge fight between the big parties in Greece over the terms mm -hmm. of uh, Mr. Papadimus' uh, transition government, mm -hmm. but I think they will at least 
approve the package. Uh, and they have to approve the package in order to get 8 billion euros between now and December 19th. On December 19th, Greece will have to repay 2 billion uh, in bonds that have matured. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have the money to do that. It okay. needs the money, uh, what is called a tranche, uh, a slice of the last year's bailout mm -hmm. in order to do that. Uh, and it has uh, in all about eight billion due in December. If it doesn't pay that, it will have to default. So, and it can only get that money if it approves the second bailout. <laughs> uh, so, so we're really up against um, a time limit in Greece and uh, presumably now the government will approve the bailout. It will get the tranche. Uh, it will have enough money to repay the bonds that come due in December and at least it will carry on for a while longer. Okay, well. But meanwhile, Italy, Italy is Italy, yes, a big I was going problem. to ask you about <laughs> Italy and, and Berlusconi in particular. Um, he is stepping down or has stepped down at this point. So tell us about what's going on there. Well, Italy, uh, Italy has, is, is a much larger problem than Greece. Mm -hmm. uh, Italy has more debt, more public debt, than Greece, Ireland, Portugal, Spain, Put together. Wow, that's and huge. Given all of the problems that the EU has had with Greece, as well as Portugal and Ireland, which have also had bailouts, mm -hmm. uh, and Spain, which has been a problem, uh, Greece, uh, Italy has uh, more debt uh, in all 1.9 trillion euros. Uh, and they have 300 billion euros that ha uh, of debt that uh, they have to borrow. Uh, they have to go into the markets for 300 billion next year in 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that is a huge, huge problem. Uh, How do you think they're going to solve it? What's going to happen? Well, they've been, uh, they've been uh, wrestling with that problem for some time. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the EU has made it clear that Greece has to take certain measures to try to stimulate growth by restructuring the there? economy. Well, it has to uh, change the retirement age, raise the retirement age. It has to, uh, you might say, liberalize the professions to allow more people into them. It needs to uh, uh, deal with its uh, labor market regulations to make it a little easier to hire and fire. All of these things are very politically contentious. The government hasn't wanted to do that. In addition, it has to raise taxes and it has to lower spending. Uh, and the government doesn't want to do that either. Right, none of those are uh, very popular things with the people not, of Italy, I'm they're sure. They're not popular, and so the government has been uh, dragging its feet, and Berlusconi in particular has been dragging his feet, even though his finance minister has been saying, we have to do this, we have to do this, Berlusconi's been dragging his feet. The EU and the ECB have been essentially telling the Italians the Italian government, what it has to do mm -hmm. for the last three months uh, and has said, we won't support you in the bond markets unless you do these things. Italy has still been dragging its feet. Finally, it's become so apparent that uh, the foot dragging has been so uh, egregious, you might say, mm -hmm. that, that um, finally Berlusconi has agreed to resign. Uh, he did so only after it became clear that he had lost a majority in his own coalition. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he is going to resign sometime, according to one of the spokesmen, between Saturday and Monday, okay. which would probably mean Sunday. 
Uh, and on Sunday, the government will vote on a Financial Stability Act that will do some of the things the Europeans want Italy to do. But there's still a problem uh, that Italy is really, um, it's too big to fail and it's too big to bail mm. out. Uh, and uh, there's no way the Europeans can marshal enough money to stand behind 1.9 trillion of debt. So uh, there's a real uncertainty now in the markets and mm -hmm. in the financial community in general right, uh, right. whether the Eurozone can stay together. Well, let's talk about that. What do you <laughs> think the future holds? I mean, there are critics of the Eurozone and the Euro. Should, we never, uh, should they never have gone that route to begin with? Um, or, you know, if it can be saved, you know, how can it be saved? Well, I think, I think they should have gone that route uh, to begin with. And the way to think about that is imagine if in the U.S. we had uh, uh, 50 currencies of the states. We had a state dollar and a Connecticut yeah, dollar and a New York dollar and a well. Rhode Island dollar. And, and they all had different values. And we were trading and exchanging and traveling and so forth. And we had to change our currency every time we went out of the country. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, we would say what we really need to ease the transactions is a single currency. Right. So given that Europe is highly interdependent, most of its trade is with uh, other uh, uh, with other members of the uh, European Union, it makes sense to have a euro. Mm -hmm. The problem is they didn't really have uh, a good criteria for deciding who should get in and who shouldn't get in. Mm -hmm. uh, Greece has never been able to really be competitive with the other countries of the eurozone mm -hmm. uh, in terms of trade, uh, in terms of uh, goods and services and trade and so forth. Uh, uh, it's never really been competitive, uh, and they didn't really deal with the question of how do countries remain competitive uh, once they lose control over their monetary policy and they lose control over uh, their exchange rate. That is, they can't lower interest rates uh, and they can't lower their exchange rate to boost trade, uh, well, boost their exports. It, it's like a catch-22. And so how do impossible. you remain competitive in that situation? You have to have a very good, strong, competitive economy. Uh, and Greece doesn't have that. Portugal doesn't have that. Uh, Does anyone have that? Germany, I would imagine. Germany has that. Germany has that. Uh, the, uh, the Netherlands ha has that. A number of the countries do. But Greece has been in defi trade deficits, current mm -hmm. account uh, deficits every year since 1999. That you might say that's an unobtrusive measure of, of the fact that it doesn't have a competitive economy. Um, so what they have to do is, is restore or create some mm -hmm. kind of, some degree of competitiveness in the Greek economy, uh, the Portuguese economy, and to lesser extent even the Italian economy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a very hard thing. That has to do with restructuring the whole economy. Mm -hmm. It's not just about And what if you can't do that? Spending. Then what happens? I mean, do you foresee any countries <coughs> getting kicked out of the Eurozone? Well, it's possible uh, that some might be. Uh, what, one of the things that's happening now is that the political leaders are talking about um, uh, possibly a two-tier or multi-tier Eurozone where there would be a core inner group. The French and the Germans have been talking about that just in the last few days. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's also a possibility of um, of of uh, the some of the eurozone countries moving forward uh, and and uh, developing even more greater integration while the other eurozone members are faced with uh, being on the periphery as they are now or mm -hmm. even dropping out um, the, it, it's an interesting moment uh, in, uh, in time because uh, the Euro I think the Europeans don't really know where they're going at this point. The general sense of this is that they are at a fork in the road. And as Yogi Berra once said, when you get to a fork in the road, you have to take it. Uh, <laughs> and the fork in the road is you might say uh, the Eurozone breaking up okay. or moving forward with more Europe. More Europe is a slogan that is very popular in Germany, Germany these days and in other countries. It means we need m more rules, stronger rules, more enforcement, uh, more mechanisms to integrate the economies, but also to keep, to make sure that they stay on track mm -hmm. and they don't uh, free ride, you might say. Mm -hmm within the Eurozone. The third, but there is a third fork in the road, uh, and it's the one the Europeans have been on for a long time mm -hmm. and probably will be on for some time to come. It's the fork of muddling through. And I think that's basically what they will do. Uh, they, uh, uh, theoretically speaking, it would make sense for Europe to push forward more Europe, uh, develop uh, uh, a greater degree of, uh, you might say, coordinated uh, control over fiscal policy. Yeah, I mean, it, they seem to need some control and, and enforcers. They need enforcers. They need, in, they need tough enforcement. Uh, they need more coordination. They need some degree of control over the national, uh, over the fiscal policies of the member states, at least those which get in trouble. They need uh, to have some kind of veto power for a country that simply goes off the path, uh, mm -hmm. fiscally speaking, and doesn't get correct itself. Mm. Uh, and they've been trying to invent that as they go along over this last year and a half, but uh, they may need a treaty change to do that. The problem, uh, to do that effectively, the problem is that there isn't a great deal of support for a treaty change in the EU right now because as is always the case, a treaty change has to be approved by all of the member states. And that's very difficult. Sure. Uh, and it means in at least one country, Ireland, there has to be a referendum, and there might be referendums in a number of countries which might get uh, result in the treaty being defeated. So uh, it's not clear they can go to a treaty change mm -hmm. and do more Europe. Um, uh, the idea of the Eurozone breaking up, I think, is not an attractive alternative for the same reasons I, I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. that they are highly interdependent economies. They need to trade, exchange goods. It makes sense, logically speaking, sure. to have a single currency. Uh, so what do they do uh, between those uh, two options? My guess is they will continue muddling through. But the Italian crisis in particular is one that really has Europe, I think, scratching its head. Mm -hmm. I mean, Greece is a small problem in the big scale of things right. in, in the European Union, two, two and a half percent of the population, uh, uh, roughly the same amount in terms of their gross domestic product. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a relatively small 
actor in the Eurozone. Right. Uh, Italy is much larger. It's ten times larger mm -hmm. in terms of its economy and, and its weight in, in Europe. And as I mentioned, it uh, has a huge amount of debt. Yeah, and I know it's, it's, it's not only um, problematic there, but it's also affecting our stock market, too. It's affecting the, the world. Exactly, uh, because of the uncertainty. Any other countries um, teetering on the brink, so to speak, um, in, in the Eurozone? Who, are, who else are looking at trouble? Well, there's always, there's always the danger that um, if somehow the Italian problem is fixed, the markets will say, hmm, what about Spain? What about Belgium? What about France? Uh, in fact, uh, Moody's last month said that Fran it would look again at France in January and mm -hmm. decide whether it should keep its high credit rating given oh its deficit and, uh, and its problems. Uh, what that led France uh, on Monday to institute uh, quite severe austerity um, measures, that is, cutting spending, raising taxes. Mm -hmm. So there are countries in the, um, you might say, in the uh, sites of the financial markets uh, beyond Italy. But I think um, Italy is really the problem that mm -hmm. has to be solved okay. at this point. Yeah. Uh, and, and if they can resolve some way to solve, uh, figure out some way to solve the Italian problem, that presumably would work for Spain which isn't really in as difficult a situation as Italy, okay. and it might hold uh, the markets off for okay. the time being. All right. Well, very good. <laughs> we'll have to see how this all we'll works see. out, hopefully, hopefully for the better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing some of your work. You're welcome. For more information about Professor Cameron and his research, please visit our website at yale.edu backslash Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.